happened to uh dracula because he i guess he posted like some prohibited content on his youtube page you guys hear about that no no tell me tell me brian i'm very intrigued yeah account suspended (laughs) welcome (laughs) boys and ghouls to a fucking show i keep forgetting of halloween is forever i'm brian i'm meg i'm steve i keep i keep forgetting to give you guys your belts Remind me next time we're in person and I don't yeah, have the yeah, Corbids. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> we we do. We we all still have varying degrees of, of Crovids. Um, Guys, I'm I, in the clear. I'm officially in the clear. You're not Crovid. You're, oh, yeah. You're no longer I, Crovid I'm, I'm positive. Um, I assume I still do in some capacity because Kate got it. But in any case, uh, we're still we're doing a little remote action here for this here showdown. So, you know, we'll have to powerbomb ourselves through the table or whatever. But that's all right. We can probably accomplish that, I think. But guys, if you haven't listened to the last couple episodes, first of all, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Brian's back. He actually doesn't have the Corvids. Actually, he, you I have, have no Corvids. Like- <laughs> I'm ready to fucking rip some throats. Oh, talking about vampires. Um but yeah, if you haven't listened to the last episode, again, you're a piece of shit. But uh, we um, have already discussed the fact that uh, our showdown episode here for the wonderful month of August is non-traditional vampire flick. So I'm all fucking thirsty for blood. I got that fucking bloodlust getting all psyched up here to talk about some goddamn Dracula movies. If you haven't already, for God's sakes, what are you doing? Go on the social medias. Go ahead and, and search Halloween is Forever on the Instagram, on the Twitter, on the TikTok on the Facebook find us follow us and you'll get the you'll you'll get these things these alerts these posts whatever it is whatever platform it is and then you'll get to help us vote and decide or even suggest topics for showdown episodes or really for mini episodes for that matter so get the fuck on it guys I'm sick of your horse shit <laughs> it's August it's it's pretty I'm much pretty Halloween sure your your Corvid's um, case is like turning into one of these zombie cases where you're getting really aggressive right and for, he, for me Corvid Crovids was a rage virus. Turns out. <laughs> oh, guys, pickle surprise. It's a rage virus. <laughs> and Brian got it. Pickle surprise. Yeah, what? <laughs> just say that like it's a normal phrase people say. Like I we can't just remember know. where it came from, but I have heard it a long hey time guys, ago. Pickle surprise. Crovids <laughs> is a rage virus. <laughs> That's a shirt. All thing. <laughs> hey, guys, pickle surprise. Dot, dot, dot. Crovids is a rage virus. That's a whole shirt. And it's just my face going, uh? Uh? Pickle surprise. Pickle surprise. Who knows? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Um, Who knew? Anyway, we are going to talk about those some bitchin' movies, but before that, we got some things to talk about. First of all... Um, is Ian's drinking beers yet or what? I started drinking. I had a couple beers this last night. Whoa, I'm having a couple a beer. beers. I'm having a couple beers tonight. 
Um, I am for sure drinking today. I've, I have not drank since I was like, I might be actually since our last episode, I have not had a lick of beer. I know I had zero alcohol for over a week uh, for like 10 days, which is the longest I've went without booze in my system since I was nine, I think. (laughs) Um, So no, no withdrawal symptoms that I noticed, but, um, you're not shaking. You're not doing anything. That's good. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad that's the case, you know, that you're not shaking. I think yeah. I w- we would have to have a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, I didn't not smoke weed, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you did the what the what's the Cali sober? Yeah, exactly, Cali sober. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, especially when you have like um, uh, you know uh, uh, a virus that um, is known to dramatically affect people's respiratory systems. Uh, I did not stop smoking marijuana drugs. <laughs> It's a good uh, thing that you gave your liver a rest. That's true. I could listen. I can't sleep without weed. I'm pretty sure I could never sleep again if uh, if weed uh, was was gone from my life. Hey, um, but at least with weed, you have alternatives. So you know you could have taken some edibles and not worried mm-mm, about your lung mm-mm, situation. No, nope, no, actually, you, you, well, no, no, I didn't. I would have, but I didn't have any edibles. I uh, I, uh, I, uh, I ran out of edibles. I could've gave the rest of them to. Uh, to a friend who uh, needed um, was out and I was like you know what I'm gonna go uh, uh, I want to go to the dispensary anyway because I got my my uh, my my card you know because I got a little bit of cataracts and you're giving you're just giving you're being so well it was like it's free four gummies it wasn't a huge you know it wasn't a large amount yeah let's not assume that you're a good person yeah 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 let's let's not act like I'm doing it I mean I mean I I, I'm probably gonna go to his house and steal his car I mean just so we're even um but anyway, yeah, so I'm having some brewskis. What are you, what are you into having? <laughs> so I, um, after work today, I actually... A little um, bush pop- apple, huh? Uh, yeah, I actually went to the bush apple store. <laughs> <laughs> the bush apple store. It's like the apple store at the mall, except for everyone's inbred. <laughs> yeah. The genius bar is spelt with two E's. <laughs> And a J. Yeah. It's a J and two E's. Uh, um, so no, I'm- it's the genius bar, but you say it like this genius. <laughs> Way like, to go, genius. Way to go, genius. <laughs> Pretty close. Um, I popped over to our friends over at Coven Brewing Company mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was I was eyeing up. I was like, what's what's the first beer I should drink after, you know, you know, a finally feeling free. Yeah. You know, I'm free. And so I picked up, uh, Katie brewed a like kind of like tiki IPA. And I so, saw that. I want to get it. Uh, well, I definitely want to get that. I'll save you a can. Well, bro. no, I'll go get some because I've just been waiting to go buy beer until I ain't got the COVID. So, okay, um, cool. Then I'm I, not going to save you a beer. I'm going to drink it all tonight. No, drink it all, drink it all. And then I'll go buy Perfect. some more from them because I um, like them and I want to buy their beer. Yeah, it's called Design Lines, and it's Indie Paleo with pineapple, mango, and vanilla, and the hops oh, are never mind. Sultana, <laughs> Citra, and Chinook. <laughs> it's nice because what I like is that oftentimes these type of beers will not feel like an IPA, but this one definitely still feels like an IPA. Oh, okay. And it just has some fruit and like this, like, you know, mild vanilla note to it. And I I'm like all, I'm the, super all the things you mentioned. I love pineapple. I'll fuck with a pineapple IPA. I'll fuck with a mango IPA. The vanilla was the turnoff when you said the vanilla. Really? Not that I don't like vanilla. I love vanilla. Yeah. I don't like vanilla in an IPA. I think it's, okay. I think it's clashes um, with dry hops. Also, 
gorgeous. I love. Well, that's that they really what it. I want it for. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, no, I just want it for the label. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, they do like a lot of, um, of that. Why am I, I'm drawing it like maybe I still have Corvid's brain, but, mm-hmm. um, it's just like, uh, very abstract kind of like cut and paste type art, uh, you like know, collage. Collage. Yes. That's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. the word. They do a lot of collage art for their, um, I've been doing a lot designs. of collages lately. Really? Have you? Yeah, I really have. I'm not even joking. I have. Why are you only sharing with us? Are your Garfield art and not? I don't know. I've been doing a lot of collage. I'll show you guys next time we come over. I got like six or eight collages. I like. I I like the idea of collage art. I've kept like I have a bunch of um like Decibel magazine and Fangoria magazines that I'm kind of want to like cut up. Mm, Let's have arts and crafts. Let's have some arts and crafts, guys. I love. I I have the collage. Listen, I got a nice little pair of scissors. I got my little exacto knife to cut out my collage Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, these guys making vision boards. Let's Hell go yeah. here. <laughs> I like collage. I don't know. I like I like a collage. I don't know hey, why. Steve, I'm Not about like to coll- manifest my fucking life, bro. Don't fucking come <laughs> at me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I I want to go get that. I need to get some brews. Um, and there was something else that Coven had too that sounded really cool that I wanted to pick up too. Um, so yeah. Anyway, maybe this weekend when I test negative, I'll go out and do a little run around town, grab some brewskis. Um, but in the meantime, I'm drinking a little beer. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, it's called Sly Fox Pikeland Pills. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the wow. one I drink all the fucking time. Where and, are they from? Yeah, I'm not familiar. I think they're from, um, I'm not sure. I can't see anything on the can here. Um, no, it's uh, sure. uh, hashtag EMP, brain. you guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm still yeah. waiting for that uh, sponsorship. Yeah, well, we'll get on it. Listen, I I got to send an email to myself. You know, guy. Yeah, I got to send an email you know to myself. I keep forgetting. Um, no, but uh, uh, I just you know I fucking love this beer and it's super fresh. So I'm just gonna drink like um a six pack of this tonight. Uh, but I've drank it many times in the show, so I need to explain what it is. Um, Steve, what do you uh, what do you got? You got anything? I'm not back on beer yet. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I drink. I was drinking chocolate some- milk over there. No, it was actually, um, it was, uh, milk, tea and coffee. Mm. Uh, little, you know little, little English you know breakfast and, you know, mocha Ooh. going. It's good. There you go. You know what I've been drinking a whole lot of lately? Green tea. Oh yeah. Drinking nice. a fuckload of green tea and matcha and stuff like that. It's that's Steve's jam. So you can um, pretend like you're healthy. Well, I bought one of like just a massive quantity of green tea from Costco. Mm-hmm. It's like 200 little things of green tea. I was like, well, there's enough green tea the rest of my whole damn life. So I've just been, uh, it was like an impulse buy at, uh, at Costco. So I'll have to bring you guys some of the, I have this, um, uh, black tea. I, I do enjoy tea a lot. So we'll, mm. we'll sidebar this one. Um, I love Earl Grey, um, for the bergamot, of course, but yep. I got this other English breakfast tea that has lavender and bergamot in it. Mm. And mm. It's, 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 it's like, something like the name of it something silly like mornings in paris or something like that <laughs> like you know like you have to do a shoulder it's shake just called, with it. it's just called live laugh love <laughs> oh, God. Much. but it's like super good put a little like vanilla creamer in it and you're getting kind of like a pseudo london fog thing but with like a twist you know i like um, lavender because it makes me feel like i'm finally getting to eat those decorative soaps in my mom's like <laughs> bathroom for when I was you, a kid that looks so good. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to eat them because they look so delicious. They look Your like mouth a delicious just candy. Watering when you see yeah. soap now. I do. I get you when, when you go to like one it. of those. 
like <laughs> stores like at a or at like a uh you know if you go to like kind of a, a bohemian kind of flea market or like a hipstery type of market and you yeah. have the people who mm-hmm. make all the soap i just want to eat it guys um brian cannot go into bed bath and pure bath and <laughs> no, body works like, I get he, so, like i'm just like i want to eat all salivating. the salivating well it just looks like a deli- they looks like delicious gummies and ice creams <laughs> forbidden cream savers <laughs> yeah i just want to eat all the soap um so i think i have weird. a disease <laughs> I like um, how I made that up and you're, and I'm still thinking you're disgusting. <laughs> yeah. You're a piece of shit. This scenario I played on my head. Man. You're a real piece of shit. <laughs> All right. So what else? What else? What else? Oh, um, is it safe to talk about our little thing that we were talking about for the Halloween's? Is that like it's, a thing nah. that we should say? No, nah. All really. right, guys, we'll wait then. We got a little <laughs> teaser for you. We're going to do something fun for the Halloween's, potentially a little live Block situation. Block off your entire October. Block off October, guys. We're going to get <laughs> fucking after it. We're going to get weird. We're going to eat mushrooms. We're going to get arrested. We're going to break out of jail. We're going to probably... I would imagine commit arson. We're gonna do a whole series of fucked up things in October. We're gonna get real so. stabby, real fast. Um, <laughs> just don't come near us. Ready for October, or actually and, come near us. Yeah, I won't and, stab you if I'm you try- come near us. Yeah, I promise. Like, don't wait. Pinky I swear. can't stab anybody if they don't come near me. <laughs> um, it's like a tornado. Either you get sucked up in it, or you get just devastated by it. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> make man. your choice now. What side do you want to be on? We're ready. Oh, to- man, I really, really want us to cover Nope just from that comment alone. Yeah. We didn't I- see it, Meg, because you tried to kill us. Yeah, we didn't see it. I would have liked to have seen it, but hey, you gave you me Crovids. you saw the black phone, and I tried to kill you, and I saw that, too. Yeah, because I have, like, a VPN. Of course I saw whatever I want, except well, for Nope. You, you just haven't seen Nope yet. Go fucking see Nope so we can fucking talk about it. Bro. You know what I saw, guys? Send What'd me you some see's? zucchini bread. Near dark. Yeah, um, which is a fucking blast, you guys. All right, let's get into this goddamn movie, Squids. Um, we uh, we don't have anything else we got to talk about, right? No, nope. we don't. Uh, you know, go. Oh, we haven't said this in a while because a couple of people actually did recently, which we very much appreciate. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go and fucking first of all subscribe, follow, do whatever you're supposed to do. Uh, then go write us a little review. Not only do you give us one in five star situations or whatever the maximum number of stars is, but also go on and write a little thing. It could be like eight words that say like, you guys are fucking turds. Thank you. Or, you know, I am a podcast listener, blah, blah, blah. Say whatever the fuck you want. All I'm saying is go give us a five star review. And then if you feel so inclined, uh, take a screen grab of it, send it to us on Instagrams in the DMs, and then I'll send you some fucking stickers if you want. And you know what? I'll probably throw some spooky, ooky little Halloween trinkets and bullshit I got laying around here as well. So I like how do you that. don't want people to say nice things, but I seek and I need people to validate me and tell me that I'm pretty. So yeah. tell us, tell us in the, just be like, Megan, you sound pretty. Thank you. Yeah, Give me the and- validation. Yeah, just say whatever, do do whatever you got to do to make Meg feel good, and then say, like... I'm not uh, going to therapy anymore. Give us, like, supplement that with the reviews. You are our mental wellness plan, you guys. So go ahead and don't say mean things, or I'll throw myself in front of traffic. Um, so, uh, yeah, go ahead and do that. And like I said, if you want some stickers and some spooky-ooky shit, I'll send it to you in the mail. Go ahead and shoot us a little DM there and say, hey, look, I did the thing. Um, Okay. Put the now, thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Um, Steve. <laughs> Steve's champ. Steve's the champ. 
Stevie I hate shit. to admit it. I die. It, it's really. I'm struggling to pull I the words out of my mouth. Tonight. I think I, it ends tonight. <clears throat> we'll see. I feel doubt. this. I feel <laughs> Heavy this. doubt. <laughs> Heavy doubt. Hard <laughs> doubt. I feel it. All right. So Steve's the bones. champ. Steve won in uh, in uh, the month of July, which is a bullshit month. Everybody knows it. But he did win. Um, it's not like. It's not February, but it's still a bullshit month. Um, it's our anniversary t- month, <laughs> isn't it? June no, June is. is. Oh, yeah. Damn it. Get your shit straight, <laughs> Steve. Get the fuck what over do it. What do you want to do? What, what do you want to do? You still got a dinosaur behind you in your background. You don't even got a vampire. It is a carnosaur, Meg. It is a carnosaur. You got a fucking dinosaur. Carnosaur. That seems like a double entendre where you just, yeah, yeah, so... How so? Let's take a step back. Explain okay. to me how that's a double. Okay, okay. I, I might be using that incorrectly, but you use a carnosaur. <laughs> it's not a carnivorous dinosaur. Dinosaurs can be carnivorous, so you don't say. But you can also be an herb. Yeah, you we do. Don't, we don't. We don't just say herbosaurus. You say herbosaur. Yeah, you say herbosaur. It just turns out herbosaur is not so scary. But that's what I'm saying is that like, oh, just saying carnosaur just makes them more scary. What you're saying is that the movie should have been called Dinosaur. It should have been called (laughs) T-Rex. But But there's nothing to say it was a T-Rex. It was genetically engineered. It could have been an Allosaurus or it could have just been a brand new dinosaur. Wasn't big enough to be a T-Rex. Certainly wasn't big enough to be an Allosaur. Get your fucking dinosaur straight. No, uh, I'm not. You, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna stay in my lane right now and keep with this uh, ignorance. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying in the lane of ignorance. <laughs> staying in the lane of I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, here, uh, staying in the lane of COVID brain. <laughs> did you guys ever see that video? I don't know who the fuck the guy is, but he's at like the he's at like the red carpet. Like I think it was a premiere of like one of the newer Jurassic Park movies. And Steven Spielberg walk walks by and he just yells. He's like. You know, he's on the red carpet doing an interview. I don't know who the fuck he is, but he goes, hey, you just in this for the money or do you really love dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what would actually be really funny is if like so Steven Spielberg uh, directed Jurassic Park, right? Is that what we're talking about? I'm I'm stupid right now. Like Steven Seagal directed S- Jurassic Park. Steven, no. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh directed Solaris. Okay, you guys can say whatever you want right now, but all I really want to get it for my joke is yeah. that if at the red carpet is like the moment you see the director is like you just instantly assume that he's a dinosaur and you start screaming and running away from him, and that's what I want to exist. You assume he's a dinosaur. I gotcha. I gotcha. Again, like he's a, like he's everyone. A, he's... We still got the Corvid's brains. It's yeah. a real thing. Turn off this episode. This is the first time I'm ever gonna say it. Shut Shut it off. Shut it off. This is going to do saying dumb things. This episode are, is honestly you know. going to just do you wrong. Um, so now let's get into these fucking. Let's get into these goddamn movies, you guys. That's right. Um, Steve's got to tell us though what the order we're going to talk about him is. That's right. Because I'm champ, so I decide. Champ. And uh, you know it's been a while since Meg's going first. That's fine. So Meg never goes first. I know. Well, that's except for <laughs> so annoying. Meg except never. for today, I love going today, first. Today, Meg will go first. Perfect. Okay, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, to the point. Then you know what? I'll go in the middle. Okay, and we'll end. Uh, we'll end with Brian. Ah, mistake. The Big mistake. Last. Big mistake, guys. Big mistake. Big right. mistake. Okay. Um. All right, guys. Hi. How are you? Um, my name my name is Megan and I'm here to talk about 
I'm here to talk about the 1977 American psychological horror film uh, by George A. Romero called Martin, or as it's been internationally known as Wampire. Um, I don't know if you guys caught that, which is pretty fucking great. I think that's a pretty good intro. Wampire? Yeah, it's spelled that's what she said. W-A-M-P-I-R. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, the international release is like vampire or, va- you know, you know it, with a W. Vampire, and- yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you said vampire. Well, yeah, that's yeah, what she said. Much, that's pretty okay, much I was going to say, well, I'm pretty sure it's a vampire, but you know, guys. whatever. <laughs> I'm um, also from America. Mm. Mm. Did that make sense? So that works for me. So um, cool. So this movie is starring um, John Amplos, but which I know he's played in other moves like movies. I think what was he playing? Dawn of the Dead, Toxic Zombies, Knight Rider, Creep Show, Midnight. He's played in a lot of different like horror type movies, um, as well as if you guys recall the amusement park, mm-hmm. we had what's his nuts lincoln mazel yep he was yep. also yep. one of yep. our other lead characters in this um as well as christine forrest who eventually married george romero and guys my crush tom savini mr what tom it, savini a young a young, young. Uh, a this supple was, uh oh i like uh, that word definitely uh, mustachioed uh, i, I wish savini. he was in it more but this was um from what i gathered was one of the first collaborations he did with romero and i did confirm because i didn't know if he just was acting in it or did some of the special effects no, but this he did do his, the special effects yep, first time so. and also this is uh, uh probably not the first no 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 it's not the first i don't think it's the first time mm, but one of the first times he worked with Michael Gornick as well, who is the cinematographer and also cinematographer Donna the Dead and also the director of um, uh, Creepshow 2 and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Sick. Thank yeah. you. So a lot of, a lot of Romero regulars. Yeah. Up and, in this and, bitch. And I feel like this movie all around is like a very Romero film for like him having done um, like up to this point really being known for zombie films this was like another it was a good turn and i think he really did an amazing job taking this concept of like the idea of vampires and basically creating his own version of it you Mm -hmm. know he's including a lot of his social commentary which i think is like one of the biggest standing points for this film as like a vampire film but basically the plot follows a troubled young man who believes that he is a vampire and basically is kind of being fed throughout the film and we learn that Martin is this young man who basically goes to live with his cousin uh Kuda which I, how do you say his first name? I need to look at it. It's like Tata Kuda. Oh, they say Capecom Tata, which is like father, I think in German. Right. But, um, or is it German? But anyway, he, uh, he said it's not his, I thought it was his uncle. Mm, Maybe. I don't know. He says they're cousins. Yeah. It's extended family. Maybe it's a second cousin situation or something like that. Yeah. Cause he's way older. He's like 70 something year old man. Right. He's a very old man. And when we, when he goes to like, meet Kuda we learned that like he is going from living with another set of family Martin is um, who passed away in Indianapolis in Indianapolis let Mm -hmm. me speak words Um, but like Kuda already has this understanding in his brain that he thinks Martin is a vampire Mm -hmm. throughout this whole thing so this and he believes that the family is cursed with this like um, 
like basically cursed to be vampires. So he believes Martin to be that way. Or like and, one, like it's a generational thing and like one person each generation e- is. Yes, exactly. Which is cursed it, or something. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. So, um, again, to not go through too much of all the plot points, but I will cover some of the things is that with Martin, we basically understand he's a very troubled, he has like some mental issues. Like he kind of clearly is not necessarily just like a normal guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, actually you guys might appreciate this. And I don't know if you guys read enough to under like see this, that he was kind of described to basically be portrayed as like an incel before incel was ever really a term. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was weird. I, I did read up on it a little bit cause I don't actually know a lot about this movie. I'd seen it mm-hmm. before, but it had been a long time. And it sounds like this was originally supposed to be a little bit more straightforward vampire type flick. Right. And then George Romero saw this kid in like some sort of local production in Pittsburgh and was like, no, I want to like rewrite this whole thing about mm-hmm. him and make him this, yeah, for uh, for lack of a better term, kind of this like shut in kind of incel type of of character uh, with right. all these like. But at that time, like the incel wasn't really like a thing. No, it, it just was like, was, like a sexual, a, like sexually yeah. repressed in a way, like socially yeah, very awkward. awkward. Yeah. But also feels that he has some sort of entitlement. He has like a, a, some sort of sense of entitlement around and a very unhealthy attitude towards sex and women. But I don't think he does women. it like in a um, pretentious or egotistical way, even though it's feeding off the ego. I think mm. it's just coming from this like natural, he doesn't fuck, he just has like mental issues. Steve, mm. did you have something to say? You were going to say something? No, I was just going to say, did you guys have like, did it come across almost as if he was like on the spectrum in a yeah. lot of ways? Oh yeah. Cause, yeah. No, for sure. Because he, like a lot of the time he's, he's like kind of nonverbal with mm-hmm. the way he talks to people. There's like one very specific scene where he's in the car with the housewife mm-hmm. and like she's kind of talking to herself and like says, if you don't like it, you can just get out. Right. And, and then he, he, just he takes that literally. Yeah. He takes that yeah. literally and he's just like, right. okay, I'll leave now. <laughs> yeah, he, Which, he definitely doesn't pick up on social cues well. Mm-hmm. And then also he, he, um, yeah, the non-vert, what do they call that? Like selective, selective mutism or something mm-hmm. like that almost or something. Um, and yeah. then so, even, um, even early, like uh, Kuda, like accuses him of being an imbecile, which right. you know right. we're, yeah, he's we're, like, we're, like, I've told you. Like, he's like I've been told you're an imbecile. Yeah, <laughs> which, which is yeah. such a sick burn. I was like, in, that's awesome. Hey, in '76, that is you know a medical diagnosis. So. <laughs> yeah, so oh, you have sure. imbecilism. Yeah, like, yeah. So, you're an invalid because you're an imbecile. Right. Yeah. So I so this might be a side story, but like I feel like now with the knowledge we have about the spectrum of sorts, I um one of my close girlfriends. She, she just moved back to Pittsburgh um, from New York City and we went on a walk and she works with a lot of people who um, have like sort of like disabilities, a lot of people that are on the spectrum and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think now, like after having that conversation, I feel like I even like see some of my conversations with people a lot differently because at that time we're talking in the seventies, like none of this stuff related to being on the spectrum was at all even on the table. They didn't fucking understand it. Mm-hmm. So even then translating that to people who have like say ADHD or something else. I mean, there's, I think the the statistic is something like one in five people are on the spectrum mm-hmm. and it might, it's in varying degrees. So like, I think, um, Romero, like, basically saw all these different traits and had this idea and he wanted to like speak to that. And I, um, what I, 
loved about and why I chose this movie is that I think like it leaves you asking a lot of questions. And as much as there's arguments for 10 out of 10 to say, like, there's no nothing vampiristic about this movie. But I think there is like arguments for it being like, there's very like vampire characteristics to like what's going on. And um, what I love is that like, he kind of uses this like meta fictional like technique to create like this familiarity throughout the story that like you recognize elements of like vampire traditional vampire movies whereas and but like also makes you question like, the reality that we're watching throughout the entire film mm-hmm. because yeah. there's just all these um like uh, flat kind of like they come like come across as like pseudo flashbacks or hallucinations you know and then also we see things with kuda where he's clearly calling him nosferatu he's yeah. like he's living in this very old world of like i i know my family has this vampire curse and then add this layer that Martin is probably has some mental issues, but he's being fed that he might be a vampire. So now he's doing these things that are very clearly vampiristic, you know, whereas throughout the film he is, you know, we have within the first five minutes, five, 10 minutes, we have him doing his first kill, but he's so strategic about it. And then he exhibits I think like vampire, vampire, <laughs> vampire uh, tendencies where it almost feels like a need. But I think some of those things might be more ingrained in his brain. So that's why like I love about this movie is I think there's a lot of conversations we could have back and forth that like break down what can make him actually a vampire in a non-traditional vampire where he can go out in the sun and he can live a normal life. And he it does want to like live off of blood, but he doesn't have to. But it's still this like innate desire that he has to connect with people and to basically control his um, victims and then drink their mm-hmm. blood throughout. So like, there's mm-hmm. just so much more to it. Well, it's also like it's uh, the only way he can have intimacy with people. Exactly. Too, I think is exactly. I mean in that first opening scene, which is which is really kind of traumatic and creepy on the train. Um, yeah that like it it becomes very clear very quickly that the only way that he can have any degree of of emotional intimacy with anybody is when he has drugged them and and mm-hmm. or murdered them um so it's like and but I, I think also think it, would be a unique take on the whole idea of being a vampire, like where he doesn't have to necessarily just immediately attack someone and kill them, but he could have this whole ritual, which I also think yeah. kind of plays into this idea where maybe he's just a serial killer. Too. Well, yeah, because the whole the the whole flashbacks and really their hallucinations and just like his ideation of how he wants things to go. Because mm-hmm. he, he's romanticizing the the Dracula myth of like, you know, in all those movies, the women give themselves over. Mm-hmm. Right. But then right. when he gets into the actual process of what he's doing, like it is such a stark contrast. And it's especially like apparent in that very first scene, because the woman is just like, oh, you fucking sick pervert, you disgusting rapist. Yeah, you, you know, rapist. like she's she's just completely like she's crass and he cowers she's, almost oh yeah he, he cowers she she's crass in the way that she fights back so like mm-hmm. there, there is no romanticizing it at all he is he is a fucking villain mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so like yeah, no, it, yeah it, it's very stark like it's very they don't pull punches mm-hmm. in, in, in well, that early think, scene 
I don't know if you guys felt this way too throughout watching it is that I, I do agree. I'm like, he is our villain. He is the one killing people and he's doing it in this very strategic planned out way where you know like exactly what you said he drugs them and obviously this drug doesn't kick in right away so there's always a struggle there's Mm -hmm. almost always a struggle there and then he goes into like undressing raping and then killing ultimately and drinking their blood and then going into uh, cleaning himself, changing his clothes. Like he has this whole ritual throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing with it. Um, but you still almost have this like, like gripping, uh, like sympathy for him as a person. I think throughout it. Yeah. I think the idea is like, they're take, I, I, the most, clever way that they're spinning the vampire mythos is that it is a curse in a sense that he has apparently and i don't know if this is the implication but he has inherited this quote-unquote curse but it is really more of a of a generational trauma slash genetic curse of Mm -hmm. mental illness and trauma um because like kuda you get the idea of like he's a total like he's obviously suffering from mental illness in a very significant way um and i think the idea is like between the the generational like abuse and trauma that's happening in their family and potentially even the genetic implications, which I think they're suggesting, and especially in 77 or whenever this is, maybe they didn't have as as clear of an indication of, of what that meant. Now, all of a sudden, you have these two different people, him and his um, cousin, I guess. Who, who? What's the, the, the woman in there? What relation is she uh, to him? She is the... Um She's not a grand. Yeah, she's, she's a granddaughter. She's a grand. She's, she's yeah, a she's granddaughter. granddaughter. Right. And he's... So anyway, there's some like... once removed type relationship she is dealing with it in a i don't want to say necessarily a more healthy way yeah a a more healthy way but she's trying to be rational about it yeah she's getting the fuck up out like she's she's like she recognizes it and she's out he is not it's got a grip on him Mm -hmm. like in like a death grip on him but i and some of the things i read in like like looking into all of like the nuances of their relationship again because i feel like I I think one of the best things this movie did is that like it makes you question things throughout the whole thing about the relationships between people and understanding where they're coming from. And like, so I think she's approaching everything in a very rational way where Kuda is still stuck in this old world. Whereas like almost, I feel like it's almost every time we see him, even, you know, we have this flashback and it almost brings you to this old world mentality of what like this vamp, like vampire lifestyle could have been, you know, thinking maybe, 100 200 300 years ago mm-hmm. and and i and i kind of liked that contrast because i feel like kuda's very much so stuck in this like old way but granted he could be also very naive and then we and, and i don't know if it would have actually been a i didn't i don't have any evidence to say this but like if romero ever has any sort of like um ties between some of his movies like after seeing you know kuda as like his character in music park you know he he definitely plays on all this like social commentary of like 
growing old and also like even just these like family dynamics and as well as like being a man in the 70s and having mental health issues like I think he brings all of these elements into this movie that like when you're able to like step back and actually look at the story as a whole um, you're, you're left with a lot more questions at the end of the day and talking about uh, like I'll like kind of veer and pivot a little bit here talking about Christina and Martin's relationship is that I feel like she is still really kind to him throughout this even though like Kuda doesn't want him to like go near her or go in her room and he made that very clear because Kuda was basically like you're not allowed to go in my room. You're not allowed to go in Christina's room. You can't do any of this. Cause basically he's under the assumption that if he doesn't invite you into a room, then you can't fucking go into that room. And, um, Christina offers him a telephone. And this is where I think another, um, act in the story is like a pretty significant part. And we kind of get that almost like halfway through where, um, Martin starts calling into this like radio station and starts talking about what he's doing. And I actually, as much as I think there's a reality to him doing that, I think if we, if we look at it a little differently, I think there, I almost started questioning if he's actually calling into anyone. And I think that's like an interesting thing where he wants to talk about what he's doing, but I feel like he could be on the phone, but I don't think he's talking to anyone but himself and he's creating this character. And maybe there's like this, um, like schizophrenic type thing going on in his brain. There could be, I didn't think about that. It could, could be, I, I wonder to what end of this, like in the context of the story, to what end would that, I think it's like what? an understanding of who he is. You know, this is like yeah. an, an environment where it's like, because I think this movie could actually, I'm going to just like TM, TM, TM this. This would be a cool movie to redo, but a prequel to his time in Indianapolis. Mm. Well, yeah, that might be fun. Actually, I think there's a sequel already. It's called Vampire's Kiss. It stars <laughs> Nicolas Cage and it's way, way better. Um, did you guys know that, uh, uh, Lincoln Mazel was born in that Colonel Sanders suit and died in it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was very aware of that. I, <laughs> yeah. Wait, he and did change he it is, one time. He was in a black suit at one point, if you guys recall. Yeah. One yeah. time he was in a black suit and one time he was in his, his delicatessen wear and that's yeah. more costume changes than he had in the amusement park, but it's still the same. Life. Well, yeah. in his entire life yeah. too. And actually I was looking up on Wikipedia as well. Did you know that he actually died from drowning in old lady puss? <laughs> that was... <laughs> That's how he died. No way. He, he died drowning in Braddock Snatch. <laughs> oh my god, Braddock Snatch. Yeah, um, yeah he. The, uh, we should say this is shot in in uh, Pittsburgh, and a oh, lot of yeah, it is shot in hero. right in downtown Braddock. Uh, downtown. When Bra- before when Braddock was still you know, a, a thriving mill town, which it is certainly not anymore, although it's been revived uh, quite a bit. But um, the, although there was the one scene <clears throat> I actually was talking to, sent this to Kate and, uh, and, and my mother-in-law too, who are from Monroeville, that scene where he goes and drops off the, I think it's groceries or something mm-hmm. to the housewife that he ends up fucking. Um, that's definitely in Monroeville. That's in mm-hmm. one of three neighborhoods in Monroeville. Totally makes that's sense. in like Turpike Gardens or Alpine Village or <laughs> or or, or yeah. University Gardens. Like that's in one of the, th- there are three neighborhoods in Monroeville that were all built in the 50s that are all like boomer houses that look exactly like that and are mm-hmm. on hills just like that. Like I've seen that house in real life for sure. I just don't totally. know what street it's on. Um, but <laughs> We could probably Google it. I'm sure 
sure we could find the the shooting location. That'd yeah. be fucking amazing. Yeah. And I love, and I think that was like, I, when we were talking about choosing movies, I know Steve, you made a comment about it being a very slow movie, but I felt like this was an hour and a half and I felt like I, I didn't, wasn't bored with it throughout it. And I didn't find myself bored even rewatching it because I feel like, between just the way the shots are created it's still it kind of felt like like almost this like it felt like a romero film but it also felt like this like a little bit of a documentary and yeah. i i kind of enjoyed even seeing the shots especially like seeing the city a little bit more um yeah. that's the theatrical cut i think is fairly well paced it definitely drags at points for me but if you watch the director's cut which is what i watched last time i watched it it's a fucking slog i've heard it's out there. i think i yeah. Yeah. The director's like, cuts like three hours long. Yeah. Right. And it's brutally slow at times. I could see that being the case. I know um, I was talking to you because I posted about covering this movie and I had two people reach out to me and one of them actually has the um, soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, and sick. I was really this excited is a about that. Killer soundtrack. It, it has a great jazz score by uh, Donald Rubenstein. Um, yeah, awesome, awesome jazz score in this movie. Um, right. Weird score, like just it, there is a. This is going to sound a little bit dramatic, but there is a feel for me of like what a '70s Pittsburgh soundtrack sounds like, and like <laughs> Pittsburgh's a very like jazz oriented town like there's there's a great history of 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 jazz in pittsburgh and like when i think about like mr rogers neighborhood and old like qed shows wqed which was the first pbs um station in the country first like public radio or public broadcasting station in the u.s i think or one of them yeah it was one um, of the first public broadcasting but we also had the first radio in kdka so kdka mm. too yeah so we have a we have a very long history of public broadcasting in pittsburgh but um really great jazz history and um and a lot of really good jazz scores and shots that are in local cinema that was shot here and this is like one of the great examples i think yeah i would buy this i would buy this on on vinyl i guess is what i'm saying and, and, <laughs> right. well, it exists, I, I, yeah. and someone did and someone owns it but i like i think that conversation even started like this train of like how kind of cultish this movie is and i think a lot of it comes down to a the fact that you can like really start questioning every ounce of it because of all the social commentary that like Romero brings into the film. But also there's like a lot of things that confuse and you. There could be an argument. I think there's more of an argument I mean, like, for confused, he's like, not really sexually confusing when I see Tom Savini and like, <laughs> I want to like, I don't think I'm you're sexually, sexually confused at sexually all. Dude. I think you're very, I think you're very clear and yeah, you are now have a boner by thinking about his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is clear. Think about his this name, thinking clear. about his bowl cut, <laughs> think about his mustache. <laughs> like all these things yeah i own you know what the thing is though is like i still think about that like uh birthday picture he posted when he was like i'm 75 <laughs> and i'm like that to me is that's a spank peak bank. sex that's yeah that's spank peak sex. material yeah um <laughs> um where where did i get cut off there <laughs> i don't know you, you cut yourself off you just, <laughs> you just got really horny and, and got all confused um no, did, no, did no, you no. guys think about horny like, brain uh, covid brain <laughs> yeah <laughs> How about okay? So this is like a little bit off. So the the guy, the lead the lead guy. I don't know if you said his name. I don't. I, I don't think he was really in a whole lot else. He was like a more of a stage actor, I believe. But the guy who plays Martin, right? right? John Amplis, like yeah. He is a very. He has a very distinct look. He he's like right up your alley. You like ugly people. 
<laughs> I like characterful faces. Yeah. He looks like here. I'm gonna throw and it's. I stood. I sat there the whole movie going, "Who does he look like? God damn it! He reminds me of somebody." Here's what he looks like: cross between perfect 50-50 cross between the lead singer of him. You know the band him, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Rusty from European Vacation. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not terribly wrong at all. Yeah. He looks like a perfect combination of the guy from him and Rusty. Oh. Specifically European Vacation Rusty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I remembered where I was before but then you also wanted to sucks. talk about <laughs> like, how. All that he doesn't up. fucking suck. You, do you think he actually sucked as this character? I think he played yeah. a great incel. It, it was good later. It was good. It was good early. And then in the middle, he didn't like. It was weird because for a stage actor, you would thought he would have been like projecting more. And I feel like. He just in certain scenes, he just was like, I don't know, maybe that was the character choice, but he just was like a fucking dud yeah, in certain scenes. Sure. Well, I mean, this was one of his earlier films, but I would be curious to like go back because I like I didn't really watch a lot. Of, I, I couldn't remember him from like talking about Dawn of the Dead or like some of the other stuff. That no, he was I don't in, remember like, him that he was in Dawn of the Dead. What was he in Dawn of the Dead? I think he was just uncredited as a second man on roof, but I think he, he just like oh, kept he was just working some with. Dickhead. Yeah. 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 Okay. I was going to say, I don't remember him. Creep show. Um, he played in Day of the Dead. He played the doctor. Ted Fisher. Oh shit! Not, yeah, so not Frankenstein, but no, like not his, Doctor Frankenstein. Right, his, his like buddy. assistant mm -hmm. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, they so, never made the connection that was him. Um, yeah. So I mean, this being one of his earlier like scenes, so maybe he could be like kind of a stage actor at that point. But like, I still think for this character, I felt like there was this like authenticity to like what he did. Yeah, it wasn't like, a bad you know, performance. Like you, you, yeah. you, you felt the things you were, <clears throat> you were supposed to feel about him. And, but I think what I was getting at was like this becoming such like a cult culty film. And it, again, I think it goes back to just like all the different themes and like the stories and the things that you can like derive from it and like things you can actually like, it leaves you with like the idea that you can still create like you could probably watch it a few times and be like oh i didn't notice that before and this mm -hmm. is kind of maybe changing my opinion about where this is but like um partially going back to that like metafictional like type idea where we're like kind of coasting along this idea where there are like vampire trips throughout the whole thing but like is he a vampire is he, you know, you have that question throughout the whole thing. And, um, even to the point where, um, agoraphobic nosebleed fucking uses like one of the pictures, um, on one of their albums, soft cell actually wrote a song about this story. And I thought this was just like all very interesting, like side things that I found. Like tainted so, love soft cell. Yeah. Oh, hmm. what's yeah. it called? Martin. <laughs> I love how you say Martin. I love how you don't pronounce the T, so it sounds like you're talking about the TV show Guys, from the nineties. Martin, from you're so crazy. York. We're nasally yeah. as fuck. Martin, Martin. Um, yeah, no, it's Martin. Uh, they're like the, It's like uh, the T is almost in the inflection when you just like go to the N. So it's mm. Martin, Martin. Mm, yep mm, mm, that's mm, little mm, western new york I, you um, know what i like when martin does his flying syringe move it's like his finisher <laughs> where he just like lays out and, yeah and yeah, hits somebody like, with guys, a syringe yeah like, oh that'd be a great he makes sure he, he gets it in there a couple times yeah he does a yeah. couple of times um, I, just to jump back a little bit to like the performance like i i kind of see what brian was saying about it kind of feeling like a dud but i think that's more about the film itself just having like a meandering pace to it 
Mm-hmm. Like he, he, it's more like a character study. Yeah, so yeah, so he doesn't mm-hmm. he like from scene to scene he doesn't necessarily have a, a goal or a ticking clock really. He's just right. kind of existing as like this, you know, this weird guy. And then every now and then he he gets the urge that he has to kill. Yeah, he gets right. all shaky and but he doesn't know how how there's no really exact intervals or mm-hmm. anything like that. And I actually like I actually like the idea, Meg, that you were talking about. of like maybe he's not actually talking to anybody on the phone because he's mm-hmm. pr- it's it's a really clever way to get some exposition and some some insight into how he feels about himself because you yeah. don't really get that otherwise because he doesn't really talk a lot so right. it's, it is a clever which is why it, i think that he's if, not talking to anyone because why would he all of a sudden be okay talking to a dj when he doesn't talk to anyone that's and I the case like though okay. why is it over the credits with everybody asking what happened to him when he's yeah. dead when he's dead that's that was going to be my point mm. was that's why i think that that's not true but i i i like the thought exercise of imagining whether mm-hmm. or not it is but even if it's not i still think it's a good device mm-hmm. i just like almost feel like this movie um feels in a way like a slow burn like we're slowly getting to know someone but like we're and this is why i think a prequel would be a really cool like sequel to the whole story mm-hmm. and in understanding where he was. Cause I'm curious if like when he's settled in a place, like, is this like this, um, uh, wave or like arc that he goes through where he's just like slowly getting comfortable and slowly opening up and slowly become in like, just still, but still being who he is throughout the whole thing. And it just like, feels like this slow burn where I don't think, like at the end of the day, if I'm looking at this, I don't think at the end of the day he is an actual like in any sort of traditional sense of vampire. But I think what's cool about it is that he believes himself to be because of these like familial curses and these familial stories that are being fed into him and he's just like has a mentally deranged and so Mm. then when he like snaps out of it and it's almost basically lucid so when he's talking to kuda for example and he's constantly like no these are just like stories these are fantasies yet he still does all the other things well i think his whole thing is is like he he never wavers in his belief that he's a vampire but i think that what he is he is thinking that he is he is thinking that he has a handle on it because he's the first one in his family to understand that it's not all the superstition, garlic and crosses and mm-hmm. all that shit. And he's the first one to kind of understand that. And he's trying to get that through Kuda's head. So he's trying to process it, but not doing a great job. And then you have his cousin or whatever her relationship is to him, where she's almost getting to a point where she is a, even a younger generation, perhaps. And now she is becoming a, even a little bit more self-actualized and a little bit more distant from the generational trauma in the sense that she's able to understand that it's not real at all and it's 100% in his head. So it's like this nature versus nurture thing where like part of it like it's it's nature but you can you can kind of overcome it like he he's become this vamp quote unquote vampire in a literal sense that he drinks blood but he's not um, like a a storybook vampire uh, because of this family curse but the curse is 
mental illness and generational trauma. Right. This goes like from zero to 60 and basically what I would consider the third act when he is sleeping with the depressed housewife. And so he's developing this relationship. And so now he's seeing his urges be different. And I feel like at that moment when he's starting to see this change within his own self, he we're also then seeing the reality of life around him where... Um, and this is where that ego, I think, comes into play is like the moment he's because he's only seeking out women. So we clearly only see that. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 deeper. It's not just this. It's very sexually urge. motivated. It's, yeah, it's the very whole thing is 100 percent sexually motivated. Totally. And he doesn't understand that this is a stand in for it. Yeah. The moment he's getting his dick wet, he's just like, I don't know what I want. I don't know who to kill. I don't. And, yeah, then, and he but, never makes the, the connection vision. that like, oh, the urges go down now that I'm fucking. The movie is awesome in that way is that when he that's happening, though, we're seeing like this social commentary on real life with women in society where men are just constantly harassing women because that that whole montage of sorts when he's talking to himself and being like, I don't know what I actually want or talking to himself or to the DJ. He's just like he doesn't know, like, why doesn't he know who to pick? Mm-hmm. He's like, it just used to be really easy for me. But while we're watching that happen, um, we're seeing all of these women be like harassed in public by different men on the street like throughout that whole time um then we go to like the scene where he finds someone he's like i'm gonna go after this person and like all hell breaks loose and he kills he kills again but ends up killing a man and ends up sucking his blood and then um please come in like you know we have this like almost like rioty type scene where things are just like uncontrollable at this point I think Um, also like at at that point he, yeah, I think that is, so the whole, I think subtext of the movie is him thinking he needs to feel a certain way. And mm -hmm. I think there's, there's really strong like gay undertones to the movie too. I do. Can you talk to me about, I'm actually, cause I didn't get that. I think it's because he thinks he needs to act a certain way. He doesn't feel a certain way. Um, and I think he ha- is very conflicted about his sexuality and he has created this surrogate for sex with a woman that he can feel the connection, the emotional connection, all that sort of thing. I don't necessarily think he's gay, but I think maybe he's bisexual or wants to explore his sexuality a little bit more. Do you think it's that or do you think it's just simply that he never like was educated properly on I think think it's both things. I I think that's why he's so repressed and everything. I honestly don't know if I actually would have derived that from this story but I think like what Steve was getting at is that I think it's more about like if he grew up in a situation where he didn't really have a like mother and a father he was always like tossed around from person to person that like he is conflicted and confused about like what emotional connection is and so all he knows is this um very surface level uh idea that okay my connection with people is like on a sexual level and this is what i should want and this is what i should need and he and this is why i think it's like mostly women that he goes after is that he's still looking for this like even nurture thing within that because he kind of like thinks that's what he needs so i like i don't know if i really got this bisexual thing i i think i more so see it as like the I don't trauma know if bisexual of- is not maybe maybe that's not the right term but this kind of idea of like 
Maybe maybe he would be somebody who, if he was born 40 years later, would identify as just like queer potentially. Yeah. But he has this this whole thing of... Or maybe it's just it's just his not his inability to express like kinks that he has because mm-hmm. you know whatever his whatever his situation of growing up is is likely wildly religiously repressed because again mm-hmm. it is the seventies and we already see it in Cuda of how like strictly crazily orthodox religious he is. To, to right. the fact that, you know, like Kuda rejects like a newer priest because he doesn't have, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't give him the right answers. Yeah. I mean, the, so. the whole generational trauma, religious trauma and all that stuff and abuse within the family is like very. But it's just like very old world versus there. new world, too. I think yeah. there's a lot of like themes throughout it. And stuff I think like he's, that. he's trying to force himself into a mold that you know, that's obviously society has set forth for him. Like, for example, like I need to dominate women. I need to take from women what I want, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just like all those guys on the street, you know, harassing, like verbally harassing, even physically harassing women, like on the street throughout the movie. He thinks that that's what he needs to get from women. But what he really is getting is just intimacy. And then Mm -hmm. when he starts to actually have sex. He doesn't, he, he is confused by how that differs from what he gets from the, the preying on them as a vampire thing. So like the, the the thing we haven't talked about is like when he, after he starts having sex with the, um, with the, the, uh, I forget her name, but she's that kind of bored, depressed housewife woman. Um, Abby or something like that. Yeah, he's not really keen on the whole idea at first, but he knows instinctually that's what she's looking for. Yeah. But he even says to her at some point, like, okay, I've decided that I'm here for sex and that's what you want from me, so let's do this. Mm -hmm. And he feels all of a sudden like, oh, now I'm doing the thing a man should do now. Mm -hmm. But then when she belittles him intellectually and basically says like that's why i like you is because you don't have opinions now all of a sudden he's like oh i'm not the dominant aggressor that i thought i was in this sexual relationship so then he i don't know then he he then coincidentally not coincidentally but accidentally has that kind of relationship with the guy too yeah. You know, the, the and and I think that kind of throws him for a loop as well. So I guess that's where I got that. That's where I was getting those those tones from. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I can understand that. I think it just comes from more of this like naivety that I think he's almost like this. It's like almost like this id complex. And also he's like still, I think, in a childlike form in his brain. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think he's, he's like, you yeah. know. He, he clearly, he has no experience in, in, in anything. And I think like his lack of human connection, I think is also a big part of these relationships that he's thinking that he needs to develop, which is also, I think, translated into how he sees himself as a vampire and why he has the ritual that he has, because this is how he realizes how he can have human connection with a female. Yeah. And find love of sorts or feel love, but also feel like a connection with someone. Um, but yeah, guys, this movie. Yeah, I like Don't this you movie. Love it? Yeah. Like, I do I, like this I movie really a lot, like actually. I think and the this more was I think George about, Romero's. Yeah. They, George Romero uh, was known to say that this was his favorite movie of his, too. I did pull this quote, too, that he's like, um, he's in Martin is designed 
to that all those supernatural monsters that are part of our literary tradition are in essence expersions of ourselves they're beasts we've created in order to exercise the monsters from within us i tried to show in martin that you can't just slice off this evil part of ourselves and throw it away it's a permanent part of us and we'd better try and understand it and i think that's like literally what he fucking did is like this is like this whole series of Martin slowly trying to understand what he's doing, even if he's he's not consciously doing it. It's not like he's like, hey, I should go to therapy. I think I like drinking people's blood and killing people. I should go to <laughs> therapy for this. But it's like, no, I like he's just literally very conscious of the behaviors and he's conscious of what his cousin's doing. Um, and I'm assuming that maybe like in the previous living situation that wasn't the case, but like Kuda kind of knew what he was doing. So again, I would love to see a prequel to this um but yeah no i i love even just like reading more the more i got to know this movie on the level of like learning that it's like was george romero talks about it being one of the fav- one of the best movies he feels like he ever did but also just like the cult following because i think it questions a lot of things i think um, it allows you to have discussions like we're having now where like it's cool to break down all these scenes and it's all derived from this idea of what vampires are. Um, yeah. So I I don't know if I have much else to say besides, you know, besides that, I think that I think the last scene of Martin getting killed, spoiler alert, um, I think that was the perfect way for this to end. I really do. I think like Kuda, like giving into his intuition saying that hey i like i believe him to be a vampire and he's not gonna stop because that was also when martin was kind of like going a little crazy and like killing a lot of people like killing more people in a shorter period of time because he didn't have that instinct anymore of like i need to find one person he was just like he was getting the thing he needed so now he's like i don't know what to do but i need to keep killing people um and so kuda killing him at the end i think was like perfect and it was like stake in the heart um, again, going back to the vampire tropes and I liked that. So that's Martin and I'm glad I didn't go through scene by scene because that, uh, I think this conversation was way better than I could have expected it. <laughs> you thought we weren't going to like the movie? No, I thought you guys were just going to shit on it, but I didn't choose a movie that had religious undertones. Like, fuck you guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are overtones. Yeah, there are I mean, very more overtones than undertones. Okay, no, but not in the same way. I learned no, less things about Jesus in this level. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're very surface level. Kuda, Kuda was our, you know, Jesus. I mean, it, it helps yeah. that I'm pretty sure Romero was more or less atheist in like a lot of his a lot of his films have an anti-religious bend to them as you know you can see in this film that he just kind of you have rejections of religion and you know how it's just portrayed as a lot of you know magical hokum so Mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah i like this movie too uh i've seen it a long time ago and then don't i feel like i've seen the 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 director's cut and that may be why I was like, oh, this movie's going to be so long to sit through. I can't believe. Right. Well, same. <laughs> I think the first time I saw it was the director's cut because I think that's what I had on at some point on DVD mm-hmm. or VHS or something. Probably not VHS. But I, uh, yeah, I was expecting to go into this going like, ah, oh, this movie's a slog because that's how I remembered right. it. But then mm-hmm. I actually really, I don't know, I really enjoyed I, it. Yeah. Uh, there, It drags a couple at, at points. There's definitely some dragging still in my sure. opinion but overall I, I i like it i like this movie i like movies of this era and this yeah. feel as well too 
um, one other story from that conversation I have with a guy that like um, was into the movie then when I posted it. Um, so we were talking about the director's cut and he was just like, I'm pretty sure I saw like the reel for it go on an auction for pretty crazy. And when I clicked on the link, he found the link and it was like the assumed price that this would sell for was like two to three K, but it actually went for $50,000. Like this, like the actual reel of the director's yeah. cut of this film is kind of fucking cool. I was going to say two to three thousand. That's a fucking steal. <laughs> yeah. I know. feels like for like a Romero <laughs> director's cut. Or, yeah. 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 For something that was so. more or less considered lost for a long time. But well, and also this was banned in the UK. Mm. Like this is like some of the countries who were who were censoring shit around this time. This was this was on the, uh, you know, the not the video nasties list because that was yeah. a little later. But this was definitely uh, this was banned in. I think multiple countries. Well, also too. Um, so part of that conversation we had is that he, this guy, his name, so his name Tyler, who was uh, talking to. So I'm not saying weird things, but um, he uh, said that the person who owns the rights to it in America, like, w- I guess, has been kind of a jag about mm. like doing. Is that the why 4K. you don't hear about it? Yeah. yeah. Right, but people in the UK, whoever's the rights in the UK, they're they're trying to remaster it into like a 4K version of it, as well as I think John of the Dead too. So, yeah, um, which cool. So hopefully we'll be, we'll be able to find it online. I'm sure eventually. Yeah, it's out. It's out there. Yeah. yeah. Send me that zucchini bread. Yeah, it's on. It's on the U. It's on the YouTube's. I watched it on the YouTube. Yeah, that's where I watched it too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, th- and yeah. So if you if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this now, go fucking watch it on YouTube. <laughs> I didn't feel like digging out my DVD. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, also, yeah, I don't own this one. This is one of the few Romero films I don't own. Yeah. I think I might have at one point, but I don't now. Well, just a uh, just one last. I have tarantulas. Oh great. <laughs> <laughs> Just one last thing before we move on, though. Uh, we mentioned how Lincoln Maisel's suit makes a reprise. Uh, <laughs> did did we also just notice that the marching band was back as well? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. Walking right down yes. the middle of the street in Braddock. I was waiting. Absolutely. I was actually I forgot about that because I was waiting for for some fucking picnic chicken to pop up there, too. But it never <laughs> did. <laughs> oh, and no, I there was one line we skipped over it because we didn't really go scene mm. by scene. But there's mm-hmm. a scene, the first scene in the deli, where all those cackling women are going <laughs> off, and the the one lady, Mrs. Bellini, says she she's critical of uh, Martin moving in with the granddaughter living there as well, mm-hmm. yeah. and she's and she's like they shouldn't be living together, and and uh, Kuda's reply is Mrs. Bellini, my family knows how to behave. Which yeah. which has an implication that Mrs. Bellini family doesn't know how to not cousin fuck. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, yeah, that was a sick burn. He actually has a couple between the imbecile one and that. Like, yeah, he yeah. actually has a couple of sick burns. Yeah, it's just like Mrs. Bellini's Pretty Italian good. household of cousin fucking <laughs> cannot get get over it. A whole bunch of dirty walk cousin fuckers. Oh my like, god! That's the inflammation. The raviolis are filled with something other than meat. We can't have boys and girls in the same house because they'll just get it yeah. on. <laughs> they'll just they they'll just automatically fuck each other. Um, um, yeah, I forgot about that. That, that. that was a that was a funny scene. It was like I really would have liked to have seen, uh, you know, uh, Kuda's character like interacting with all the uh, the, the the old biddies in the neighborhood a little bit mm-hmm. more too. Um, but uh, yeah, so all right, hey, yeah. So Martin, Steve. motherfucking rule. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> no one's ever 
expressed that type of enthusiasm about Martin before, yeah. but it is a good movie. It's a good movie. I it's fine. Because I, yeah. even just like talking to you guys about it, because I, I feel like I already walked into this being very excited and very happy with my choice, but then I we talked exactly how I wanted us to talk about it. So if we, um, yeah, I'll put it this way. If we didn't, if, if I didn't know that this was a George Romero movie and I wasn't watching it through that lens of like a Pittsburgh native George Romero fan, I probably wouldn't care about it at all. No, but I feel like you might have though had appreciation because I do think there are like, if I feel like if you looked at it, I mean, I feel like you can't look at it without knowing it's a George Romero film. And I think, I don't know if that yeah, really I makes it, it like I'm, the this cult is very classic much an, that I feel like it is actually like, because, I mean, I really didn't know much about it before we started looking into it when I was deciding to watch it or figure out what movie to watch. And I watched this one. I was like, this is a great film. And it's George mm -hmm. Romero. Fuck it. I've been meaning like, to rewatch this for, for a while. Actually, what was it, a couple years ago? It was like not. No, no, no. It was only last year because it was not long after we started the podcast when I uh, was chatting with with uh, Michael Gornick at uh, uh, at Living Dead Weekend. Mm -hmm. And I bought that that print uh, that that print off him or that animation sale off him. And I was talking with him for a while. Um, he had some really cool memorabilia there from um, from Martin. And we talked about that movie a little bit, you know there. And I've been like, damn it, I got to rewatch that because it's been some years. Um, yeah, my 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 aunt was a big Romero fan and had like all everything on VHS, you know, DVD, all that stuff. So it's been it had been probably 10 years since I saw this movie. So I liked it more than I remembered liking it. I'll put it that way. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. It's still it's still, you know, kind of a blase and meandering and the performances aren't mm -hmm. great. And a lot of the all shed right. dressing is very mm -hmm. ugly and the dialogue yep. isn't, you know, yep. amazing. Mm -hmm. The set dressing is 1976. Yep. <laughs> right. That's the set dressing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Whatever you say, Steve. Yeah, that's what I do say. <laughs> You're a slog fest tonight. <laughs> You're a fucking slog. <laughs> all right. All right, get into it here, Steve. What movie did you uh what movie did you uh pick here? Yes. Some some Swedish bullshit. Yeah, some Swedish bullshit. Okay. okay. <laughs> I know why he chose it. I feel like I know why both of you guys chose your films too. So sometimes I feel like you guys think you're gonna like play me to win sometimes. <laughs> not everything not everything's about yeah, you, Meg. It really is. Everything isn't. is about me. I feel like you guys do it more often than not. You're like, Megan, we gotta we gotta we gotta work her. No, it's just both Brian I and I had this movie on our list because, it because it's an amazing my, film. I picked a Western Gothic horror and and Steve picked <laughs> a, a, a a Swedish film. Exactly, <laughs> but you both had cowboy boots, so we sure did. <laughs> That's true. Oh yeah. yeah, I forgot. Steve said cowboy boots as yeah. well. Yep. Yeah. So uh, my film is Let the Right One In from 2008, directed by Tomas Alfredson, and uh, you know, starring a bunch of feeds. <laughs> It's you know it's a, a it's a starring Hardy Parker and Hardy Parker yeah excuse me look it was written by Lindquist you have to assume he played in one of the hockey leagues for a minute <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I don't, I he's don't, an OHL guy yeah. I think yeah I'm gonna pass over all of this you're not winning me over right now and making fun of Swedes. It's not. Hey, they made a very fine movie. They made an excellent film because what they made—they've made, yeah, they've made some of the, some of the most uh, influential horror movies 
you know, I mean, the uh, the the what was the one that was Swedish? The ghost, uh, uh, the phantom carriage. That was Swedish, wasn't sure. it? Sure. And then like yeah. Insomnia, sure. the original Insomnia yeah. was a great film. In- Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's got a couple of big ones. Uh, those are I don't know if they're I mean, they are horror. They're more thriller horror cult movies. Yeah. But anyway. still, it, it, great, uh, great additions to the world of cinema is what they are but that's and right. they eat gross fermented fish things right so which i they are strong that's right. they are strong of stomach <laughs> <laughs> as meg chugs a bush light apple right. or whatever i'm actually chugging a herring ale right now just like <laughs> drinking like the juice from a herring like pickled i herring actually jar. did i had smoked smoked pickled herring uh yesterday i had some i had some, some i don't believe uh, you I do, I do. I have another can of it downstairs. Kipping, what do they call them? Hey, kip, kip, kippers, kippers, yeah, kippers. whatever. I don't yeah. know. Kippers, yeah. yeah. I had some kippers. A uh, little. I made like a little little salad spread on some crackers with some kippers. Oh, fun. Oh, that's just mm. so. Cute. <laughs> I'm more Swedish than you. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, then you should both enjoy this film just as much. Then. <laughs> but there was no pickled herring eating. You don't eating know that. It. You didn't see. No, they were. They're the little. No, uh, I do aren't know that kippers, because I watched herrings? it. Oh, you mean in the movie there weren't any herrings? Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. I assume they all had bellies full of herring. Just because they ate them off camera doesn't mean that they didn't eat them. But yeah, they. They're just eating very pickled herring blood, too. Mm. Herrings pickled in blood. (laughs) Yeah, I knew you were going to make that noise. I would have bet $1,000. I fucking did it. Pickled herrings in blood. (laughs) Ryan, you don't know me. That's an album name. <laughs> Pickled herrings in blood. <laughs> All right. Calm down. Okay. Go, do, go fucking cover this movie. This sad, sad movie. It's not a sad movie. It's a coming of age tale. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it's a coming of age tale as well as... It, this is the Swedish Goonies. Yeah, this movie rules. <laughs> this is the Swedish Goonies. The, the, the young boy, uh, Oscar, is... Um, mm-hmm. You know, living in a, one of those depressing, dark, just kind of uh, whatever, like housing tenements, where just mm-hmm. like no nobody has like a real identity or anything. They are they're all stuck and there. And it's fucking cold and dark. Right, ten months a year. Yeah, there's no sun. Everybody's upset. <laughs> but you know, he has his cowboy boots, and that makes him happy. <laughs> but they still yeah. get holidays, so they're happier than any American. Yeah, they actually get to take off work occasionally. That's nice. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Oscar's living in a tenement with his mother. And then uh, across the, just uh, right across next door, they have some new uh, tenements move in. And it appears to be uh, a father and daughter. But, you know, you learn that the the daughter's actually a vampire. Goddamn vamp, goddamn Dracula. Although they never actually say it. um, Yeah, I mean, so. I want to talk about their relationship for two seconds. Like, do you think he's just like her familial? Is that what it's called? A familiar? I don't think I don't don't think it's like a familiar type of relationship. I think it's much more. Really? I took it as he was. I I kind of I kind of felt that because of the way she treats him. It's like, what are you kind of good for? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. or it could be like someone she knew when she was actually 12 or something. And who just like, yeah, I I, I took it as she he they he has been her familiar servant whatever he has been her kind of companion slash but she definitely i think i think it's much more i think companions more uh 
appropriate because I think what what you see in the film is you know the kind of Oscar essentially being groomed to be the next one. Exactly. Right. So, but I, right. I guess my I think that they I think the dude who is her what's his name? God damn. The the older guy I don't, I um, who in the early scenes hangs the other dude upside down. Basically the guy who's getting food for her. Akan. Yeah. 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 I, I think he has been her familiar for some, like since he was a kid. See, I think, yeah, right. I think like, I just, when I hear familiar, I just always think of like, there's an animal usually. And that's usually also like more associated with witchcraft. Like, I think you're thinking really? of like, it's a Renfield kind of, well, well, I, no, I think I mean, I, even I in like uh, watching like what we do in the shadows and like uh, I think, you know, I mean, that's like the newest vampire type thing I watch. Yeah. And like we have. Yeah. Vampires um, have familiars. Yeah, but I think I think it's more like you're thinking of it as like a, a Renfield kind of situation where I don't think it's like that. I think it's much more of like a companionship and uh, you know, the, the character Hakan actually has like kind of a love and appreciation for her. Yes. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's 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 not like servitude out of like being you know I don't know glamoured or whatever. It's much more. No, but he is definitely willing to like do the things that someone who is in an indentured servant of sorts, right, is willing to yeah. do. Like, and, he, and I think it's more that he's them. he's turned his life because again we're see, we're seeing it happen at the end with uh oscar you know as oscar you know sacrifices that guy to her and oscar right. begins the travel with her in the end you know you, mm. you see the way it starts but you also see the way it ends with a con being mm. just you know unable to keep up with the the demands you know mm -hmm. but and i don't i don't even think like he is her first in this situation no, mm -hmm. most likely Cause, not. Yeah, because they're yeah. they're they make mention of like, yeah, she she considers herself twelve years old, but she says she's been twelve years old for a long time. She doesn't remember right. her birthday. Like, even if Hakan was like her first, you would remember at least a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, I take it as you know she's a couple hundred years right. old, probably. Yeah, and, yeah, or whatever. She's just been doing this for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so you the the film essentially is a coming of age story because you know Oscar is a young twelve year old boy. He's getting uh, bullied at school, but also this is he's starting to discover girls, and it just so happens like a girl that he's falling for is moved right across the street or you know right next door. Can I make one statement that might it might just like put a wrench in this entire conversation, and I hope it does. Um, is that basically so do we say her name Eli, Eli Ellie 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 Ellie, yeah. Ellie, yeah. Ellie yeah. is that her being as old as she is and like actively pursuing a relationship with Oscar she's kind of a pedophile yeah I don't think that puts a damper in the how does that I throw just, a wrench like in anything? It makes, no, no, just I feel like it makes it really awkward. Like I like the moment I realize I'm like, she's clearly telling him that she's like really fucking old, yet she's still like She doesn't though. Holding she, what's Well, up? I mean, she doesn't till like uh, very uh, very late in the film. 
No, I mean, it's not even that late. I feel like it's like at least like once we have their relationship established and like she stays the night with him and she's like cuddling him. And I'm just like, I'm now feeling a little icky right now. Yeah, but we're. Oh, well, vampires aren't cool. Like, we'll be very clear. Like, (laughs) vampires are not cool. Vampires are not fucking cool. They're not like consent. They're not asking for consent or anything. Like, I think we're all on the same page. They need to be asked to come in, but they're not asking for consent. How is it? Yeah. They need to be asked to go inside of a door but you don't need to ask for consent hey Meg, right, how was right. that the creep part for you and not the part where she killed a person like took their yeah. life <laughs> because we, <laughs> we assume and we know she's a fucking vampire you're gonna hate when you get to my movie <laughs> yeah and, and the character of homer he's not cool. yeah, he's got a lisp what a doof <laughs> Fucking doof. Dude, I okay, I cannot wait to talk about right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking classic. But yeah, the other side of this film is it, it it's a series of collapsing dominoes. Uh in that you know, you have Hakan who is out there murdering to get blood so uh Ellie doesn't have to go out on her own and doesn't have to be, you know, subject to getting caught killing or, you know, whatever that would bring upon them. Doesn't have to reveal her identity to the world. Uh, but he he begins to fail. And because he fails, she has to kill. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the local next door app fig- finds out about it. And, you know, it becomes a pursuant uh, series of events that, you know, while... Oscar is basically in the dark about all of this and thinks he's just falling for a weird girl. You know, the, the, the world is becoming more violent and real around him. So yeah, yeah I, mm. I, I thoroughly enjoy this film for the way that it kind of, uh, it, it protects Oscar in like giving him these, this relationship that makes him stronger but it also, mm. like you were saying, Meg, it is it is very much a groomer destructive uh, like a relationship. Yeah, like what he what is making him stronger is also the thing that's going to like also trap him in a different situation. Mm-hmm. So I kind of saw it as like this film where he, we clearly see he's probably in a, like a poor situation. Like he's not like he doesn't have a lot of money. So he his parents relationship clearly affects him Mm -hmm. and then she is just this new outlet for him and i think she kind of sees that but she maybe she also needs it so she approaches it i think in a very empathetic or sympathetic way to a certain extent where she's just like i i do care about you i do love you and the relationship almost almost comes off as genuine but like it's it's a substitution for what he was already dealing with and then at the same time we're watching him grow and be stronger as a human because of it so you're like i want i love i love this almost like pseudo like love story that's going on in this coming of age of like this relationship developing but at the same time it's just like it's also like you said it's very destructive to himself yeah. at the same it's, time it's very one-sided like if you only look at it from oscar's point of view like it, mm-hmm. it's a it's a lot of good things, but if you look at it from the point of view of Ellie, it's complete victimization because she sees mm-hmm. this kid who is he's bullied, he yeah. and like that's like the first thing she sees and witnesses from him is like him doing this mock act out of standing up for himself 
because mm, he doesn't yeah. you know he doesn't have it but like you know he he couldn't because she mocks him and saying like you said i heard first heard you say uh make mm-hmm. me squeal type right, thing yeah. and stuff like he's, that yeah. he's taxi driving it over stabbing right. that tree <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's doing sure. taxi driver he's you know yeah. asking people are, 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 are you talking to me pig he's, he's talking <laughs> are, you, almost, like, are feel... you talking to me <laughs> <laughs> but you almost like feel like she might actually care about him but then like because she wants to, she's like i'm gonna let you go because i need to leave because what is happening is like actually not healthy like for two seconds right. you almost feel that and then she like brings it all back and she's like no you still need my protection mm-hmm. And you're still kind of weak. So she almost like wants to protect him and take care of him until I feel like it would be because she needs something from yeah, him. I th- and I think there's also just like, I mean, it's hard to like kind of judge on like, like what her full mentality is. But again, it seems like it's victimization because she's picking this kid who from a broken home who's getting bullied, pretty weak, all that. Uh, and then you see the way she treats you know hakan and that she like she's very dismissive of him you know sends mm-hmm. him away like when he has you know outspent his usefulness she's completely disinterested um right. but you you get more flashes of what their relationship used to be because there's the scene where he's going out to kill for her and like he asks her it's like can you please not see that boy tonight which is like very much like something like uh if you're in a relationship with somebody and like you you know you you kind of see them pulling away from you and like where they're headed next you you would say can you not go see that person that i know you're attracted to now it's a threat it's a threat that's my replacement and like yeah Yeah. it's affecting me what you're doing he's seen this before maybe or he's seen her or he was the replacement he was the replacement in the past yeah so he you know Mm -hmm. because if she's you know we're assuming she's hundreds of years older so like he was somebody's replacement at some point so he knows how Mm -hmm. this already goes down yeah and he's he's obviously feeling like not appreciated Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like he's kind of like that just even just his like kind of very sullen sulking kind of posture and it might also be why he's like tripping up too i think he's like he i think it's one of those things where he's mad that she is kind of playing like he can sense that she's putting him out to pasture a little bit yeah but at the same time he still has to do these like awful things for her that he feels that maybe she's taking for granted yeah and because like he also has like really nobody else to connect with Mm -hmm. because they're constantly on the run and like I, the the neighbors try to connect with him but like what kind of you know really what kind of life is he gonna have yeah he just ignores yeah. them yeah he's he's used to just floating through life and being yeah, like not being able to interact with other people outside of her basically yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so yeah it, and you know as we're mentioning like you get the it develops pretty quickly that you understand that Ellie is a vampire because she attacks one of the local townspeople and mm-hmm. the, you do get ahead of Oscar pretty quickly because he doesn't seem to catch on quite as quick that uh, yeah. that she's a danger that she is you know she is a vampire you, you mm-hmm. get you know fun little scenes where like there's hints but you kind of don't need it because you're already there. But, you know, he he's learning and it's this slow introduction 
to her lifestyle that I think is what kind of draws him in further mm. because like you know by the end of the film you know the, the 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 one guy that is searching who's lost his he lost his friend and his wife i believe his name is uh lake because yeah jockey is the one who gets killed and then uh right yeah he you know he oscar basically just like sacrifices him up to ellie and it yeah. is complicit in his murder and is okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that's uh, the point that, and that's what Ellie takes as the um, almost consent. Yeah. No, I totally. And then like, cause I think we're talking about the scene where she's in the bathtub. Is that what we're kind of talking about? And like, he protects her and like, is that, are you talking about something different? When she's sleeping in the apartment. And that's he comes what I mean. in. That's what I mean. Like yeah. She's in the bath. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's in the bathtub, like c- kind of covered right, up. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And I think before that, um, I I just want to make a point as, as something I really liked. Uh, uh, one of my favorite scenes was so I can't remember her name, but she had like um, it was like it's almost like, like Gianna or something like that, where she, um, she's a uh, she's attacked by Ellie and um but then gets kicked off so mm. like she doesn't get killed her but brother she gets, comes she, and like saves turned, her yeah so she gets turned but like the scene when she's in the hospital and um the guy that we're talking about that gets killed in the in the apartment um he opens the window and she bursts into flame oh yeah oh that's my the best God, scene that is movie. such an epic scene i'm tell gonna me say like hereditary was, like, was inspired uh, by that yeah, in some no, ways I, like that totally was so cool i love i honestly like loved that was probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie it's like the orderly comes in yes yeah, the, the orderly. orderly that like pull, pulls oh, the, the, the okay i thought it was yeah the but guy. then the brother like the brother walks in and then they're just like both just in complete yeah, yeah, it's just complete they, shock. They, they, yeah, they can't. Yeah. They can't. Uh, like, comprehend I feel like he what's kind of happening. Also, in this movie, had to do that because it wasn't set up to like be a movie where all of a sudden the city is going to be riddled with vampires. Right. You know what I mean? Like that. That would have been a no. It's a very different... sparse thing. There's not a big cast. Um, it feels very. Although it's happening in an, you know, a lot of it's set in an apartment complex. It's still very isolated, mm-hmm. which is which is cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it it has it spaces out these like flurries of shocking imagery really well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also add that too is like, I don't um, also that same woman who got uh, who was in the hospital. Like I think the cat attack, even though I feel like I don't know if that would have been CGI with the cats. They were like oh, yeah. I feel like that was an amazing scene of her getting attacked. Yeah, I feel like that. Like I mean, she had she had like some of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think besides that, I just want to make a note that Swedes have the best sweaters, and I think that's like our biggest <laughs> takeaway. Yeah, I mean, this Swedes movie. do have the sweater game unlock for sure. They I don't, don't have the I, CGI I, game unlock because yeah, those cats pretty... kind of look like dog shit a little bit. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, Brian, it was fourteen years ago. <laughs> you know what? For <laughs> I've seen some better stuff from ten years before, and I've that. seen some worse um, stuff from three years ago. So. <laughs> That's true too. The cats, like I, I don't know. It was, it was. I guess it was for for a movie that's so, again, just so sparse. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I think is just, a big theme of it anyway. Is is isolation? Is, but the cat. I think the cats felt very 
juxtaposed to the yeah. rest of the movie for it was, that it reason. Was a little yeah. Well, because it was based. Here's what here's what happened. In my, if I had to guess, the guy who wrote the screenplay also wrote the book. Okay, so he's not gonna take out a right. scene <laughs> that was in the book. <laughs> so he's gonna make it work, whether or not they have the CGI budget to support yeah. it or not. So, yeah. yeah so yeah, it, it definitely works in his mind in the you know in the book, but yeah, you can't can't have that many cats attack people um if you ever seen the Dario argento film inferno i yeah. believe there's a there's a pretty famous cat attack scene in which they're just literally throwing real cats at somebody <laughs> yeah you guys have seen have you guys seen the uh uh the movie uninvited yeah oh god of course we did. <laughs> when a small cat comes out of a did. big cat's mouth yeah <laughs> Yes, we've seen Uninvited. Brian, you're in this space. <laughs> <laughs> we should watch it again. If I win this, I'm gonna we're watching Uninvited. I'm watch again. Again. You can't do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't do that. Um, but yeah, yeah. The the isolationist we're talking about, like I think, is a big theme of the film, though, because you know you have Oscar who's isolated from people. You have Hakan who's isolated. Ellie's obviously an isolated figure. So it, it kind of makes sense that you don't see a whole lot of people. Um, you get the most people when they go on field trip, and uh, they're oh yeah 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 they go out. The, the whole class takes a trip to ice skating pond. Oh yeah, but even- and this is where we have that one little fucktard yeah. who, uh- <laughs> and then he fucking smacks him in the ear. I oh, did like that when he. Oh, like I had no sympathy. I was like, yeah, motherfucker, take it. Yeah, kill a child, whack him. <laughs> but I mean, even in that scene, you get I'm isolation because be because Oscar wanders off by his own, and he's like, I'm gonna yeah. go play with a stick and a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah damn it no he's paying attention yeah. yeah here's a stick there's a pipe <laughs> make my um, own fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i imagine oh, this we're, is we're fun for you cool <laughs> i imagine we're we're spiraling towards the, the the climactic scene in the pool um but uh man that that i remember the first time i watched this that one just threw me for a loop yeah so Throughout the film, you obviously have uh, Oscar dealing with his bullies, and yeah, he. Yeah. The big thing is that like he's never standing up for himself, never standing up for himself. But Ellie gives him the confidence to stand up for himself, and at right. one point she tells him, "Kind of, she kind of does." Yeah, she totally does. She d- a little bit. I mean, why, more why than he, he had. Why would he- why would he like let himself be underwater for three minutes and be like, well, well I, I, I mean, before, he felt like yeah. he I could go no some to the other side of the fucking pond, the fucking pool. No, I mean, I meant, I meant before that is like before that, she gave him the, the confidence to hit that kid with the stick. That's and true. also, yeah. then true. when he goes and lives with his dad, he just seems for a lot more happy mm-hmm. and all that stuff. He's like riding his fucking bike around yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And like he's removed from the situation of having bullies when he's with his dad. But his dad has his own thing going on of like he's like a drunk and a party guy and just like yeah. generally ignores him. Yeah, so, he is. you know, he's not happy in any place that he's in. He's either, at, you know, with mm-hmm. his mom getting bullied or, you know, with his dad. Ellie does give him the confidence and she says like hit him as hard as you can and then if you know that doesn't work I'll protect you 
So, and that's what culminates at the very end because after he hits that little fuckhead in the head with the stick, you know, and sends him to the hospital, <laughs> hits him right in the fucking yeah, ear. Just right on the. <laughs> it's the best. There's nothing funnier than hitting somebody in the ear. I don't know. There's why. something so painful about that too. Just thinking, I know because you know how that it you know, hurts. Because yeah. it's also it's also in the winter. It's a winter cold yeah. ear. A oh, winter. Your ears are already like freezing. I feel like yeah. why is it like the. Like, you ever realize that I think Swedish movies just like always portray Sweden as like always being perpetual winter, but it's just not. It's most winter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it's like no, nine months like, a year is winter. Um, no, I feel like they're way more tan and beautiful and like, you know, than any any of us. No, we just watched We just did a thing about uh, midsummer. It's beautiful and bright and sunny. And Yeah, in June. But then... Yeah. <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. Is she was saying they always portray Sweden as as icy and cold. I think Sweden does it to themselves. Like, yeah, because because of, of where they're what located. The fuck, you're watch, no victim shaming what, right now. Have you watched any of the original Stieg Larsson Millennium films? I have no clue what you're talking about. Uh, the girl. Oh, right. So then you're talking about something that you don't know about. So get up with the fucking Swedish cinema. Be a I'm good trying Swede. to be realistic here, and you guys are like, "Oh, you know." Yeah, no, the <laughs> girl with the dragon <laughs> tattoo films, the original ones, they're all oh, dark. I mean, and, I miss, no, I yeah, saw, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, but it's all they—they they make their it. own winter all the time. The insomnia film, winter all the time. The TV show, Fortitude, fantastic show, winter all the time. <laughs> I don't know that, that one. It, that, that one kind of rules. You should check it out. It's got polar bear attacks and like weird bugs from the prehistoric era. It's great stuff. Oh, yeah. sick. But yeah, coming back to the end. I'll just watch the mist. That's right. <laughs> you can do that too. <laughs> coming back to the end of the film, uh, this is where the kid who got hit in the head with a stick and had his ear busted, he, he gets his brother involved because that's what people do. They go get their bigger yeah. brother. Bigger brother comes by and... Bigger brother's a fucking sociopath. He's a psycho. <laughs> yeah. He, he actually, I feel like, is the... A, like villain in this movie oh, like yeah. he break and he's like what we see him for five minutes yeah he's yeah. a villain <laughs> and i'm happy he's dead i'm oh, happy yeah. he fucking dies yeah you definitely fall in love with the idea that like you want them to live and you you know what i mean like you want them like you fall in love with their like little pedo love story <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot about you yeah, it's not great. Just because, just because he's pre- you put this on, you put this on them, and then accepted them right. For it. Yeah, we didn't even say that was cool. I we did. were just I like, <laughs> like it's a thing. You were like, this kid, this guy, this Disclaimer. girl's actually a pedophile, and I'm Disclaimer. very cool with it. No. You said that just now. I can't, I can't come back from any of these comments. So I'm no, not. You're, no, you're fucking. You just got me too. Thanks, canceled. <laughs> Next canceled. Not me, dude. I meant canceled. <laughs> but you might have got both. I don't yeah. know. I'm waiting for one of us to get canceled on this show because or because we literally I just really like saying somebody gets me too. Like it suggests that like it's not their fault. Right. <laughs> it's like so shit. Such a shitty thing to say. Whenever I see somebody on Twitter, they're like, oh, so and so got me too. I'm like <laughs> It sounds like you're saying it wasn't their right. fault. Meg stumbled and got me too. She wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she messed. She fucked around and got me yeah. too. She's watching. <laughs> <laughs>
but yes, yeah, so the brother and the little the the three little bastards they show up to the pool and they clear everybody out and they decide that they're gonna hold they're gonna hold Oscar under the water and make him fight for his life and then if he you know doesn't if he can hold his breath for three minutes then he doesn't get his eyes stabbed out which that's pretty psychotic <laughs> whatever oh, yeah. if, if, even wild. if he did even if he did and even if he trained for this he would have gotten his eyes stabbed out we let's yeah. fucking be real guys right yeah i can't i can't hold i can only hold my breath for like 12 seconds i can't do <laughs> three minutes <laughs> I'd be, dead at, I'd be dead. Maybe at that's like seconds. a weed thing. Like maybe you just like you just don't have the lung capacity at this point. Yeah, yeah. You smoke so much no, weed. You had the COVID, you had the COVID in the weed. That's not good for your. Yeah, I had. <laughs> and I also I, I didn't make COVID it any better. You had the COVIDs. Weed. Yeah. You didn't have COVID. You just had regular co- regular COVID. I had full on COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you guys might have had it a little worse than I did. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, yeah. Ellie comes and saves the day. She kills all those kids in pretty hilarious fashion. And, uh, you know, it, it, it ends with all those kids dead, except for the one fat one crying, which I thought was very funny. And because that kid is just weeping in a pool full of dead bodies. Why doesn't he die? Because he, because well, he didn't want to do it the whole time. Did he not look her in the eye? No, That's he didn't what even want to be a part of it the whole time. Yeah, Cause he was, he started crying the first time He's they, were, hit, they were hitting him with a stick. He was yeah. such a bitch ass. Literally. <laughs> well, yeah. He doesn't want to be a bully. He's a soft. He's a soft boy, Meg, and he fell in with the wrong crowd. <laughs> Again, he bitch doesn't, ass doesn't deserve to die poolside. <laughs> you know, uh, again, again, we could have brought a nope into this, but nope. Meg's Catch. like, Meg's like, die a bully, or dying a bully is <laughs> die a bully or get called a bitch ass. My, bitch my ass. memoir yeah. for myself is going to be how to Wait. be a bully. Wait, what? And it's going to be called Warheads and Don't Look Them in the Eye. <laughs> I'll, I, I'm going to pre-order a copy of that if you're working on it right now. I am. It's already written. How many actually. chapters yeah. are you doing? Are you doing the audiobook? <laughs> um, It's actually 25 chapters and I am actually going to do the audiobook. Yeah, I will. Don't you love my voice? Yeah. <laughs> I got a I got a face for radio, motherfucker. <laughs> well, look look for Meg's How to Bully book on coming to Audible soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how to, let's how get to back teach, to your How to teach movie. a kid not to be a bitch ass. <laughs> how to, by... Chapter one: Bullying the Swedish way. <laughs> <laughs> chapter two: Pickle surprise. With, you, you, just, <laughs> yeah. you just slap people with pickled herring a lot yeah. in the face. Uh, but yeah, that's that's let the right one in. A fantastically, <laughs> wonderfully filmed okay. movie. It's got the best cinematography. Right. It's got fantastic music to it. It lets us into the world of lore. There's a poodle named Ricky. There's a fucking poodle named Ricky. Yeah. Why did we not talk about this? Oh, I forgot about the poodle. That's what's his name's dog. Or no, was that the guy who he was killing? No, that was dog. just a dog that came no, across. No, it was, yeah. That yeah, dog, dog was that just fucking out. around out in yeah. the woods. Gotcha. Yeah. A Swedish dog that got out and was being a narc mm-hmm. named Ricky. Yep. Narc yeah. dog. <laughs> and then he just, <laughs> and then he runs away. He just bails. Yeah, he bails and he forgets the blood. And that's, that's the inciting incident. <laughs> yeah. Lame. 
Real bitch ass move. Um, I like I you know I like this movie a lot. It's 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 obviously a great flick. I think um, it's longer than it needs to be. There's no fucking way this movie needs to be two hours. Um, I mean, it's a slow burn kind of thing, but there's there's a lot of like I'm 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 a little I don't want to say surprised. I mean, I think it's probably was a you know some sort of uh, it happens with child actors where they just it doesn't necessarily mean they want to pursue it as a career their entire life but the 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 kids performances were both really good um mm-hmm. and i'm surprised though that it was weird they they kind of like chewed the scenery a lot which was weird you don't necessarily mm-hmm. see kids doing a lot there's a lot of like unspoken narr- like unspoken dialogue almost mm-hmm. between the two of them and there's a lot of like really doing long pauses to think about what you're going to say. Yeah. And Um, uh, can we also add to this, like all your comments so far though, is that is, do you feel that way or or is it just because you don't know how to speak Swedish and you don't actually like, because I think like part of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't think we fully understand like their uh, ability to act. Cause I feel like they did do pretty good, but there was like, I think Oscar did have this awkwardness. I think Ellie was actually really good. I, I, no, I think they were both good. Yeah. I, I think they were both good. I guess, Here's here here is my my theory that I was getting to, and this might be a, a a harebrained theory here, but there is a lot of really good foreign horror out there that doesn't get a Western audience. It just never really gets an attention from a Western audience. Mm-hmm. This movie is good. I like this movie a lot. I think there's some really great cinematography, especially. Um, I think probably the in my mind the kids' performances and the cinematography I think are the the high points of the movie. Here's my crackpot theory is that the slow dialogue and the show don't tell approach to the entire, the entire story is why this movie appeals more to Western audiences because they don't have to read subtitles real fast. Right. (laughs) And they have to look, they like, they can look up and see the full weight of the performance without having to stare at subtitles. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Sure. I can understand that. Like I, what was I watching the other night? Boy. Um, I was watching a Ford. Oh, I was watching, uh, I was watching, uh, Akira and faster dialogue. Right. There is a lot of like show don't tell stuff in there. I mean, it's animated. It's completely different. But you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of fast dialogue where you're like, yeah, you know, you have to read it and you have to stay on top of the of the subtitles and you will miss things because you have to read the subtitles. The last 10, 15 minutes of that film where they're just doing a complete exposition dump. But there's also a lot of fast switching imagery. Yeah, Yeah. that, that, that one's a little harder. But I think just because it's so rich in visuals, that's that's why that one keeps a Western audience. Yeah. But I I think you're right in what you're saying in like this film appeals to a Western audience because like everything feels very deliberate Mm. and it, you know, I think also just because waits for the audience. Yeah. Slowness almost almost even works, but I also want to make the joke that I think you're also saying that like the Swedish language is just like so much more digestible to people. (laughs) I think like you've heard the Swedish chef talk, like it's a mile a minute. No, no, but like, I feel like what I'm getting into is like, I think like I love the Swedish dialect a lot in general Mm -hmm. and I'm sure in different regions, but it's like always like very, it's slower, but it's also deeper. And I think like, it's not, it's, there's not a lot of filler. It's just, 
like we say what we say and it's like very similar to um just from the limited um knowledge i have about the swedish language mm. it's like similar to the um like american like you know english speech is, too you know uh, was rare exports was that swedish mm. that was finnish yeah. hmm. that might have been finnish or yeah, norwegian I even i forget yeah was i feel like maybe I feel like anything Scandinavian though is all going to have kind of the same. Well, that I just remember that movie, like the dialogue being a little bit more bang, bang, bang. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I it just uh, I don't know because I feel like even watching like Dead Snow and The Trip, and like mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know the Stieg, the the original Stieg Larsson films, mm-hmm. like they they're all still pretty very deliberate and they're not too too fast Mm. you know in in the way they uh, approach you know their dialogue so yeah i i think it's all very accessible yeah so it's a good it's a it's a good flick i i sometimes i wonder whether it deserves the accolades that it gets um like i have seen this people put this on list of like the top 10 horror movies of all time Mm -hmm. and i'm like come on Maybe per not maybe not perhaps the top top uh, top of all time, but I think it's definitely like one of the top films, especially of the modern area. Because like you think about how much of this film is so much of like proto A twenty four stuff. Yeah, of being it's slow a great movie and, and it's deliberate. a hugely influential movie. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's just Can we like, talk about what it influenced? Like the, I think when I was thinking about this whole showdown too, is and and even thinking about like my film and just thinking about like how things influence something else in the future is that I do, I do think this movie overall is actually really good for as much as I've like joked about it in general. Like I, I, I enjoyed the experience I felt was a little slow at times, but I overall felt like the story was really good. I felt like, um, the like idea of this like non-traditional vampire and like, I think was, everything was good and it was there um i think the uniqueness of it wasn't but i feel like it could be influential to things that could have come after that and i would love to hear your both of your perspectives on how even this film or even um like your film when we get to it uh brian like how it could influence like future different like a horror or vampire movies in general because I feel like I feel like even um, this one, um, particularly, I think, kept to a certain script in a way like we like a lot of the things with vampires, like we we got a lot of the things. I think some of the uniqueness came in that, like the subtlety of the things going around the city a little bit and like what they were experiencing with like even the cats or just like what they were seeing and they didn't know what the fuck to think about i thought that was really interesting um but yeah this is definitely the most like this is the most traditional of our three non-traditional vampire films it's the the setting is non-traditional and the fact that it's a child is non-traditional um and the fact that it's like i guess just in the sense that it's a modern setting is non-traditional but otherwise it really sticks fairly close to a lot of the um, traditional vampire tropes like the fact that there is some sort of unseen plague that is um, you know been cast upon the community and they have suspicions about what it is but they can't prove it and all that sort of thing um, and then a small you know contingent of town fo- towns folks 
kind of put it on themselves to figure that out. Like that's definitely a vampire trope. Um, you know, the not being able to be seen in a, in a mirror type of stuff like that's, that's there. Um, but then, um, it, the familiar or whatever you want to call it kind of thing, mm-hmm. the servant ish, whatever companion, um, it actually has, it, it doesn't stray very far from a lot of those tropes, but it does, um, it does, I don't know, I guess just modernize them and, and more, more to the point, I think it like brings them into a societal, not societal. What's the word I'm looking for? It kind of shows well, what those things would translate to in real life. Like, right. I guess it's more realism. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it modernizes mm. it and it makes it more realistic because of that whole, uh, back to the familiar, uh, kind of companion dynamic. Mm-hmm. It, it recontextualizes it, not just as like, Oh, this is my slave who does my bidding. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is somebody that I victimized and now has nowhere else to go. And, and like, I still have to manage that relationship and, and all that this, stuff. Yeah. And it's just like, it create it, it more modernizes it as a, a codependency relationship mm-hmm. and a relationship, yeah. uh, you know, that's built off victimhood and like, uh, grooming and, you know, all those type of things. Yeah. Totally. Which I mean, I think is like, it's, it's a, that might be more of a non-traditional trope of like, the interpretation of vampires because i don't think necessarily i mean you probably could interpret it from traditional vampire films but i don't think it's necessarily always a direct um thing that someone would pull like of this like codependency because i think oftentimes like when i was looking at what i loved about just diving into this subgenre was really putting on blast what are the common themes throughout vampire type films and i'm like okay sex drugs rock and roll fucking um it's like it's all about this like addiction type mentality and and so i think it's just like a different more modern interpretation of that addiction mentality mm-hmm. where like you you constantly like if we're talking about attachments, we're, we're talking about people who are just like constantly needing someone else that I think is something that we can all understand and digest from like more non-traditional vampire films that are coming out of like the modern era of vampire films. Yeah, I think uh, I think the other thing that this one did was it because in the it, it did elevate that codependence kind of thing a little bit more where like we kind of both know the score and we know this isn't going to end well but we're not really sure how to cope with it because in the past it was always like the vampire i think the the more traditional trope would have been the vampires always you know whoever the person is that's doing their bidding it's like they're always gaslighting them and they're bringing them along for the ride and they're always like promising that they're gonna turn them into a vampire or or they turn them into the vampire to get them you know what i mean like it's like an immediate Mm -hmm. thing you know it's like i'm gonna just like bring you and i think even when we get to near dark i think that's more of actually what happens yeah that's like like a more straight up companion thing that's like, like yeah I, I, I need someone. I want someone. This I'm I'm going to be living for eternity. So I want you here forever yeah. with mm-hmm. me. Yeah, yeah I I, th- I think what really turns this one around is that 
is all those examples you've mentioned is usually it ends on a down note with the way either like the the vampire is killed or uh you know the familiar is killed and all that but like this one ends on like what you're supposed to believe is a happy ending in theory as a yeah as they're escaping the city and like starting a new life together but like you know it in you know, because like even the shot itself, like they're on a train, they're going somewhere. It's it's motion, it's sun, you know, a lot of things that aren't in the rest of the film. So you think, oh, this is a happy ending. But like back in your mind, you know, it's not right. You know, it's just going to be it's going to be that same like so she's going to do to him what she did to that other guy because mm-hmm. she's not turning him. Right. Because she knows she needs him to do things that would happen during the day. Well, and also she, um, she, you know, I think the assumption too is that she targeted him because she knew that he was this disenfranchised person that didn't have anything else that was holding him there. Right. So yeah, the, yeah, there's, there's a lot of the traditional lore stuff, but like none of that lore stuff is kind of, uh, hit on the nose. It, it, it it's, in that show don't tell like you see cats reacting and that's just something you know oh you know animals don't like vampires mm, or, yeah. you know you see like when they try to share candy you know it goes from her trying a piece to throwing up but it's never like i can't eat candy because i'm a vampire <laughs> I know. So, yeah. remember yeah. uh only humans can eat candy yeah so yeah. i like that she wanted to try though she was right. just like well, maybe I should try. And then she really, you know what I mean? I, I kind of felt like that brought a humanistic element to the, the and it made you care a little bit more that she knew the situation, but she wanted to try anyway. So again, I, I felt like it, it just aided their relationship a little bit differently. Yeah. But, you know, you always have to question, like, how much of that is her manipulating him? Because when you go to the scene, when you go to the scene of, uh, like, her saying that she needs to be asked in and he says what happens if i don't ask you in you know she comes in anyway she comes in anyway knowing that it's going to induce that that kind of blood letting whatever breakdown sure but like she knows that's also going to manipulate him into making him ask her in like he's not going to let her die so yep yeah yeah, all of that. You have to. You have to wonder how much of that is manipulation. Being you yeah. know hundreds I, of years that's old. Good. <laughs> I think that's a good um, question. To, I think that's a good thing to like add to this film. Is that like it maybe adds another layer of curiosity? Yeah, and in, in, like into the whole whole overall thing. So, anywho, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, don't, I didn't hate this film at all. I, I liked it. I would definitely watch it again. But yeah, of course, it rules. It's probably not as shallow as whatever the American remake was. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch that. I Neither do. Did I, I kind of want to. It, I, I imagine I'll be disappointed, but yeah, we shall see. All right. Anything else before we get into the 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 the, the feature presentation here? Continued in part two. I hate Mondays.